Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. I'm Sasha Barbagat. Star and Crown Casinos. Whenever they're in the headlines, it's fair to say it's not for good reasons. Crown's gaming licence was revoked in 2021, accused of knowingly being linked to organised crime. Star looked clean until 2022 when it was found unsuitable to hold its Sydney casino licence because of its conduct relating to money laundering. What really we're seeing is a debate over the desirability of having casinos as a business in Australia. And certainly to many being a socially obnoxious kind of business. And at the same time, we're trying to acknowledge that we have a situation where we have people employed and dependent on it for their for their livelihood. In the second half of this episode, Katrina Blowers speaks with Swinburne University's Helen Bird about the problem with dodgy casinos and why, despite state governments around the country giving them so many chances, it's seemingly so hard to fix. First, though, Benson Siebert is here with me for the headlines. It is Monday the 4th of March. Morning, Sasha. China has been identified as the country behind a spy operation targeting Australians and turning a politician. Nine newspapers claim to have independently verified that China's leading spy agency managed to get a former poly to sell out Australia. ASIO's Director-General Mike Burgess has refused to name the overseas intelligence agency responsible, but he's previously called out the Chinese government for the theft of Western intellectual property through hacking and other covert means. While in an interview with 60 Minutes last night, Burgess also criticised calls by some for him to name the former politician involved. Foreign interference against the political system happens at all levels of government and targets all parties in this country. Individuals who call out names, if they're doing that for political purposes, I suggest they be very careful because it might come back on their own party. Mike Birch is there. Israel has refused to attend ceasefire talks in Cairo until the fate of its hostages is revealed. A Hamas delegation is in the Egyptian capital for talks on a six-week truce, with the hopes of securing it before the Muslim holy month of Ramadan starts on March 9. While early reports suggested Israel had planned to accept the deal, its representatives are now wanting to know how many of its hostages are alive before they attend. Hamas is pushing for a full military withdrawal from Gaza, the release of Palestinian prisoners and increased access for aid. And time is running out to see a pause in fighting before Ramadan gets underway. The holy month usually sees an uptick in violence, even in quieter years of the conflict, Benzion. Yeah, and this also comes ahead of a deadline that Israel imposed, which was its March 10 deadline to invade Rafah, and that's the southernmost city of Gaza. And there's been a lot of fear in the international community about what that might mean. We've described this on the program before, basically because more than a million Palestinians are sheltering there and uh, people are really worried about what happens if Israel decides to launch a major ground invasion. Labor has claimed victory in the Dunkley by-election, dashing the opposition's hopes of gaining a foothold in Victoria. There was a 3.6% move toward the coalition in the results, but it was far from the 6.3% needed for victory. The poll was meant to be a test of how the electorate is seeing Labor's measures on the cost of living. And on cost of living, we'll continue to look for 
what measures we can put in place to take pressure off cost of living without putting pressure on inflation. That was Anthony Albanese there. And he also criticised the fear campaign run by Peter Dutton in the lead up to the vote, saying it was negative and dominated by blokes. Now, the campaign did focus for the coalition on the arrival of asylum seekers in WA, as well as the release of immigration detainees and Labor's plans for fuel efficiency standards, which was criticised as a, quote, ute tax. The opposition is saying the result is a clear message being sent to the PM that he has to do more on the cost of living. But there is criticism from within the Liberal Party that says what they need to do now is focus more on policies rather than attacking what Labor is doing. Yeah, governments and oppositions are obsessed by by by-elections because they're single-seat elections that give them a little tiny taste into what might be happening at the general election. They're generally a chance to lodge a protest vote. There's usually about a 3.5% swing away from governments in by-elections. But this wasn't quite uh, that. Um, There was a swing towards the Liberal Party, but that was mainly from voters who had voted in previous elections for Pauline Hanson's One Nation and Clive Palmer's United Australia Party. So those votes more or less went to the Liberal candidate. Labor actually picked up almost 1% of the vote and some of that came from a swing away from the Greens in Dunkley. So this will be a bit of a disappointment for the coalition and a bit of a vindication for Anthony Albanese. 12,000 people marched in Sydney's Mardi Gras on the weekend. While it was, as usual, a raucous affair, it also had a sombre note with the dykes on bikes starting the parade, stopping at Taylor Square to commemorate the lives of Jesse Baird and Luke Davies. The Qantas float was also paying homage to the former flight attendant Luke Davies, with his name written on the side of a replica jumbo jet. Police also marched, but in plain clothes. Everyone's been very positive and welcoming and uh, it's been a very pleasant surprise. New South Wales Police Commissioner Karen Webb there. Meanwhile, eight pro-Palestinian protesters did jump the fences to enter the parade. They held up a banner that read queer solidarity with Palestinian resistance and let off flares. Police charged them with violent disorder charges. They entered the parade ahead of Chris Minns, who became the first New South Wales Premier to march in Mardi Gras. Mm, It was nice to see Chris Minns there, unfortunate that he had to be moved away because of this protest. I just wanted to make comment on the fact that police were able to march. I know there's been a lot of discussion on that. And I think it was positive that police were involved in their plain clothes because they're just as much a part of the community as people who aren't police officers. But I think it was the right note to strike given everything that went on last week and the week before. And to see police there, I think, was a positive thing overall. And I hope that the New South Wales police will make moves now to really listen to the concerns of the LGBTQIA plus community and to act on the criticisms that have been pretty fairly levelled against them. Yeah, there's a lot of very strong um, feeling on both sides of the debate about whether or not police should march in the parade. Of course, Mardi Gras started as a protest more or less about um, police brutality against LGBTIQA plus 
people. So in the wake of the deaths of Jesse Baird and Luke Davies, it was an extremely high temperature moment. Um, And I think a lot of people were very upset, actually, that police marched in the parade. I guess we'll see what happens um, as the year goes on, whether or not um, New South Wales police do decide to make significant changes that show that they're willing to listen about this. I don't think it will be enough for members of the community that they're insisting on marching in the parade to show that they support us. And work is ramping up for a royal visit down under. The Prime Minister has confirmed talks have started to bring King Charles to Australia later this year, most likely to coincide with the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting, which happens in Samoa in October. Now, word is the states and territories are being asked to put their cases forward for hosting the monarch. Of course, he can't visit everywhere. Uh, It would be the king's first royal visit to Australia as sovereign and also the first visit by a reigning monarch since 2011. Bencion, I know you're not the biggest royalist. Um, I can't help but get excited for a royal visit. I think if they come in October... I'm going to be our chief reporter on the ground because I just love to. I've never <laughs> seen a royal in the flesh. I'd really like to see one, mm. you know, before my time's out and before maybe we become a republic. Maybe. Um, I, I just consider these people to be very famous aristocrats. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't do it for me, but, um, you know, if, if you get excited about it, good for you. Yeah, have, you know I'm a, I'm not? a pop culture nerd and this is a big moment in pop culture. And that's the thing, royals, pop culture, but that's just, mm. it, we all get swept up in it or at least the more basic of us get swept up in it, namely me. <laughs> uh, ben Sion, thanks for being here for the headlines today. Next up, it's our deep dive on dodgy casino practices in Australia. Now let's get into our briefing on the state of our casinos in Australia. Why is it so hard for this industry to operate by the book and conduct themselves ethically? This isn't just my value judgment. A review into Sydney's Star Casinos operations that wrapped up 18 months ago found Star unsuitable to run a casino. The company was fined $100 million and then they appointed an external manager with promises to change. Now a second review has been ordered because the company isn't moving quickly enough to reform. Helen Bird is from Swinburne University. She's been looking into the problem with casinos and she joins us now on The Briefing. Helen, take it back to the beginning for us. We're talking about Star Now, but when did the current series of casino crackdowns begin? Well, really, the whole thing started back in about 2019, and it wasn't actually Star, it was Crown Casino, and it was the result of a media investigation of what was going on at Crown that led the New South Wales regulators to start to make inquiries, and their initial target was Crown, but that in turn led them to ask questions about whether similar conduct was taking place at Star. And so in the case of Crown, we know they had the the very large inquiry um, that was run by Patricia Bergen and in due course that led to um, various findings against Crown and Royal Commissions around Australia for its other casinos. And in the case of Star, it took a bit longer, um, but it uh, was in 2021, I believe, that Bell was appointed to conduct an inquiry into Star Casino. That's the first inquiry. And now he has been appointed again to do another inquiry. 
The finding of both inquiries, as first for Crown and in the case of Star, was that neither were really essentially uh, equipped to hold a licence to run a casino. And in both cases, a special manager was appointed to, co- to conduct the operations of the casino. I should probably say that was particularly obvious for Crown in Victoria, but in the case of Star, it occurred across the scope of all its casinos. A special manager has been appointed and the appointment has been extended. Um, and it comes up for review again at the end of June 2024. And it's, I believe, in the context of whether to to review or remove the licence that they've decided this is the way forward to have this inquiry in the lead up to that final decision. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, you know, listening, they might go, okay, so we've had that first review, that first inquiry. So why do we now need a second one? Well, at the root of the whole thing and what really set off the, the, the inquiries in the first place was a concern that these casinos had been captured by criminal syndicates. They were organised crime and also that, that was, they were engaging in massive money laundering. And when I say criminal syndicates, they were involved in drugs, sexual exploitation of children, all sorts of unsavoury activities that were being laundered through using casinos. And that concern has dominated and been around for quite a long time. And added to that has been a view held that if you are a casino operator, you require a licence. It's not an automatic entitlement. It's a privilege. And the two things work together. You have to actually engage in proper conduct in order to have that privilege. And that was not occurring. So the first inquiry was into that. The second inquiry, as I understand it, won't be looking back on the exact, exact question of organisation crime. It'll be looking into the culture and asking what have you done inside your organisation from the high level down to actually make sure this kind of activity never occurs again. And my understanding is that the current regulator is not satisfied with the information that has been given. So it's going to be very focused on the internal operations of Star Casino. Yeah, from the outside looking in, I mean, that that kind of culture where, where you talked about, you know, the, the connections with organised crime and money laundering, it seemed so entrenched that, um, you know, it, it seems like a fairly difficult thing to turn around so quickly and, and start on a fresh page. Or is it the case that with so much scrutiny going on right now, they'd be kind of crazy to continue with those practices? Look, the short answer is, of course, as a matter of logic, you would think so. I think we need not to also state that as a consequence of these inquiries, the fallout has been very extreme. Um, The companies involved have cleared up their boards. In the case of Crown, they've sold the company to a Blackstone, a private venture capitalist from um, New York, I understand. Um, In the case of Star, they cleared out the board. They've got a new CEO. And so the question arises, what exactly is it that you'd be wanting more than what was already being done. But my understanding is quite a number of the executive staff at Star remain despite all these changes. And I think it's really hinting at the possibility that the regulator is looking to Star to make some really hard decisions and clean out not just the board but its executive and really clean out the executive so that the current board and the and the new uh, CEO are in the firing line, not so much for their own personal actions, but for failing to really do that hard exercise of clearing out the executives. Yeah, so we've been talking about Star a lot. How are Crown Casinos going right now? 
Well, Crown is actually quite an interesting story because it was bought by a private venture capital company that immediately took away from the public any disclosure about how things are going. And as a consequence, we know very little. But we do know a couple of things. It's continued to report losses in the period since it's made, it was a subject of major inquiries. The losses are dropping, but still it was $200 million last year in, in the red. We don't know much more about those financial results, but we do know that they have gone through the process of having a special manager and their special manager is to be reviewed in, I believe, April 2024, so it's coming up now. Um, The other thing that we've happened, and this has come through the media, is there has been some inquiries into actions taken by the CEO at Crown, the new CEO, who's been there since the end of 2022, and there was some questionable conduct raised about things he'd done on the floor of the casino. That has been the subject of inquiry by two law firms on behalf of the company and the regulator itself in Victoria, and the determination is not to take any action here. So there are some signs that there are a few struggles going on there, that financially it's definitely impacted on that company, um, but they're nothing of the order of what we're here with Star. It beggars belief, really, that reviews have found such huge problems, you know, unethical behaviour, dishonesty, links with organised crime, money laundering, and yet casinos continue to operate at all. Why is it that state governments keep giving casinos second and third chances? Um, we've heard in Victoria where Crown makes three quarters of its profit that the company is the state's biggest single site employer. Is it about protecting jobs for state governments? What is the reason? I do think that in the decision-making process, all of the commissioners had to consider this question, whether they were in Victoria or New South Wales or WA, and what they were trying, I think, to do by, say, for example, appointing a special manager was um, balancing the interests. So acknowledging that the company really didn't deserve to hold a licence, but if they were to remove it, what would be the on-flow effects? And I'm sure it wasn't an irrelevant consideration that that would affect the state coffers, but it also was the number of employees that were affected. And the the investors in Star, I guess, there was a concern about them too. This time round, the second inquiry, the obvious thing would be to remove the licence given they've had lots of opportunities to meet the standards that are required and there really isn't any further point to this. You know, you can't employ a special manager forever to fix your problems and they're very expensive to have. And this is speculation on my part, but I do wonder if the regulator here is basically saying, I'm holding this inquiry to publicly justify the decision I'm going to make, which is to remove your licence. So this is your last gasp. Explain yourself properly, or if you don't and the public won't be convinced, then I too will have been justified in taking a really hard action against you. So I do think that if I were Star Casino, I would be particularly concerned by this turn of events. Yeah, that is going to be very interesting. Um, you mentioned the losses suffered by Crown. How bad has that um, hit to reputation been for casinos broadly in Australia? Is, is that really why that bottom line has been hit so hard? Both Star and Crown have suffered. We haven't really even spoken about Star's financial performance, which is absolutely tanked, uh, particularly since the announcement of the second inquiry. Um, They've also had two urgent capital raisings in the last year. So I think there's some real question marks about its ongoing solvency in the current circumstances. And there seems to me to be priced into the current stock price the possibility that it will just go to one 
casino, being Crown Casino. So there's certainly I think the market is thinking about that. But um, I look, at the end of the day, uh, what has cut profits has been the change of circumstance, a massive increase in compliance cost, and also the removal of those high junket trips they used to be able to pull off where they raised enormous amounts of money from high rollers, and that area of the casino has been effectively closed down. So they're much more reliant on foot traffic and the people who come in and use machines on a day-to-day basis don't produce the same turnover and profit for the casino that they would have enjoyed from the high rollers. So the circumstances have made it harder to make money and the cost of complying with their licence requirements has massively increased. So Helen, looking at all of this, what do you think needs to be done? What really we're seeing is a debate over the desirability of having casinos as a business in Australia, and certainly to many being a socially obnoxious kind of business. And at the same time, we're trying to acknowledge that we have a situation where we have people employed and dependent on it for their for their livelihood. So it is an uncomfortable one because of the fact of what it does for a living. And as a consequence, at the moment at least, there's very little sympathy for its position. But going forward, I think the short reality is that you can't avoid this kind of degree of regulation given the nature of the business going on. And a question you might have asked me was, what do we do to solve this in the future? And I think the short answer is there is no short solution short of heavy regulation and oversight of the kind that we're seeing in New South Wales. So whoever owns a casino needs to realise, and I'm sure has, that that is going to be an ongoing cost component that in the past they've perhaps been allowed to get away with at a much lower level, but certainly for the near future they will not. That was Helen Bird from Swinburne University. And uh, what a conundrum I think regulators find themselves in where, you know, as Helen said, these are socially obnoxious citizens that are doing things that have been found to be illegal. But they also, you know, when we're talking about Crown, that is one of the state's biggest employers. They're keeping people in jobs. They're putting food on the table for families. So there needs to be a middle ground here and I hope that this second review comes up with at least some of those answers. Listener.